Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning I have an incredible opportunity uh, and to introduce an incredible person. Um, yeah, is Marlene, Marlene, where are you at? All right, woo! Yeah, come on up here. Come on up here. All right, so this morning, um, I just want to introduce you guys a good friend of Damascus Road, um, and she's a good friend of a lot of you as well. Um, I know a lot of you guys uh, know this woman, and you know uh, the kind of woman that she is, um, and I just want to say, like, this woman, Marlene here, she embodies our vision at Damascus Road. She embodies what it is to follow Jesus. She embodies what it is to share life, and she embodies what it is to love our neighbor. Um, I, got, I had the pleasure of meeting Marlene just about a month ago, um, and I got to sit and listen to her story for probably about two hours. Um, and in that two hours, I probably wept, like, about five times. Um, just the spirit was in her. It was working through her, and just um, her story is powerful. And what I'm excited about is that this morning you guys get to experience uh, this woman named Marlene Sorensen, and you get to experience part of her story and what God's put inside of her. And she'll, she walks with meekness, and she'll say everything that she has is not anything that she asked. It's not anything that she took on or sought out, but it's everything that the Lord has faithfully given to her. And she's just kind of stepped one faithful step, and it's been little steps throughout the way, and God has been incredibly faithful and incredibly good. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to introduce you guys this morning, Marlene Sorensen. It's good to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Is this where I... Yep, this is where you kind of... This is where it happens, right yep, here? Right here, right here, you know. I mean, yeah, you got... Okay. You know, if you want to stay right here, go ahead. But if you want to spread is, out, that's cool, too. Is, so. Okay, wow. Yeah, it's, it's all you and the Holy Spirit. All right. This is fun. So I have to say, I feel like this is old home week. I am seeing people that I haven't seen in so many years. And I feel so privileged. I feel privileged. I feel honored (laughs) to be here at Damascus Road. uh, To actually be the first woman to speak here. I just want you to know, I don't take that lightly in any way. And... um, I just believe that God has some things he wants to say. I'll tell you, when I met with uh, Shannon and Justin, Emma connected us, and she sat there and said nothing. I didn't even know why we were meeting, actually. (laughs) So um, I just showed up. And we had this wonderful conversation and this wonderful connection, and I went home to my husband, Kenton, who's here. Kenton, wave. And I said to him, I just met two of the most humble, teachable pastors I've ever met in my life. And I want you guys to know, sometimes you get so comfortable and familiar with people and you don't maybe see it, maybe you do. But as somebody from the outside having a conversation with these guys, I fell deeply in love with them as if they were my sons. Like, I was like, Lord, they 
have something so beautiful. And they've said yes to you. And they've opened the door and said, Lord, come and do whatever you want to do. And I think as a body of people here, if I were you, I would set the bar for expectation high. I would raise that bar because I believe that God wants to come to Damascus Road and bring transformation and set a course. I believe he's setting a new trajectory uh, right here. And so, um, so I feel privileged. I feel honored. I feel humbled uh, this morning. And so, Lord, I, I want to pray. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on, in this earth, first in us and in this church. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in Jesus' name. So some of you know me from way back when. Um, some of you don't. Um, so who is Marlene? Um, <laughs> here I can put it really simply. I am somebody who has discovered that I am a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it has transformed my life. I am a lover of Jesus. I've said yes to follow him at any cost. I have learned that it's, there's no other place I'd rather be than with him, doing what he's doing, believing for the things that seem impossible, but knowing that he is God of the impossible. So, um, so I'll give you a, 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 my story in a kind of a nutshell. So our connection here is um, I was a part of Mad City Church uh, with Shane, the, the, the founder of Mad City Church, founder of the Damascus Road. And um, my husband was an elder there, and we were there, and whatever, and uh, so I was doing some women's ministry and things that I was a novice in. Everything I do, I'm a novice. So um, I was doing that, and, and one day Shane uh, called me and wanted to meet, and he said, "Would uh, the leadership feels like um, we're uh, supposed to hire you as a, as a pastor. And I chuckled. <laughs> And I said, I'm not qualified. And he said, well, we think you are, and I think you need to go home and pray. And so I did that for the next six weeks. I prayed and I prayed, and I didn't get an answer. And one day, I was feeling the pressure to give an answer, and, the Lord, and I went down to our family room, got down on the floor literally on my face, and I said, God, they need an answer, and I don't have one. And I don't feel qualified to do this. I haven't been to seminary. <laughs> I don't feel qualified. I'll do it if you make it really clear that I'm supposed to do it. But you have to tell me what qualifies me. And he spoke this to me. He said, what qualifies you is that you have wrestled with me to understand the fear of the Lord, which I had because I knew it mattered for my life, that I understood the fear of the Lord and walked in it. The other thing was that you longed to live in a place of desperation for me. And what, I, what he meant by that was 
that I'd longed for an understanding of when he, when on the Sermon of the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I knew that what that meant was blessed are those who know that spiritually they are bankrupt without him. But with him, they have everything they could ever need. I was well aware of my bankruptcy. So um, I got up off the floor and I called Shane and I said, okay, I'm in. So that's kind of how that began for me. Um, it was not an easy journey, let me just say. Um, I had experiences along the way that <laughs> surprised me. Uh, I had wonderful experiences along the way uh, with Jesus because I was so desperate for him. And um, one of the things that, that I didn't know, I, was, I, had, I had been an at-home mom for years. I'd been an at-home mom and done some little different jobs along the way. So I was an at-home mom. Now I'm a pastor of a church. At that time, it was maybe 1,000 people. I don't know. So I'm like, okay, what do I, what do, I do? And um, I just kind of did my thing, did what they told me to do. And then one day, Shane came to me, and he said, I, I would like you to preach on Sunday, the whatever date it was. And I chuckled. I said, no, it's probably not a good idea. I'm a novice. And uh, he said, no, I, I want you to. And I was like, oh, dear Jesus. So I was way outside my comfort zone. I asked the Lord, what do you want me to speak on? He said, I want you to speak on the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man. It's like, okay. So I studied and I studied and I studied. Gained an understanding of the fear of man is a snare and it gets us entangled and trapped, and the fear of the Lord opens wide the door. The fear of the Lord brings blessing and honor and favor, and the thing that caught me in, all, uh, in my studies of the fear of the Lord was Psalm 25, where it says, to those who fear him, he reveals his intimate secrets. And I don't know about you, but I kind of want to know the secrets of the Lord. <laughs> More than anybody else's, I kind of want to know. God, what are the secrets of your heart? So, so I was prepared to speak that Sunday, first time. And uh, that, the day before, I had gone to the Princeton Club to work out, and you know, I was very nervous. And I went walking along, and there was an African-American older man sitting, working out on a machine, and he stopped me, and he said, So are you with the police department? I said, no, I'm not. He goes, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he looked at me and he said, you can't be a pastor. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh I'm a women's pastor. And I'm like try trying to find something here. And he said, you can't be a pastor. And he was very upset with me. And he said, don't you know what the Bible says? And I said, well, actually, I, I think I do know what the Bible says. And I know what God has asked me to do. And I know that I have no desire to be disobedient to him. And so I am a pastor. Well, you can't be. And he proceeded to just nail me against the wall with scripture. And, and um, I said, well, have a nice day. 
And I walked away. And I went and got on the treadmill, and I am like, dear Jesus, just what, what just happened to me? I feel, and I kid you not, and I hope this doesn't bother anybody, but I felt like I had been vomited on. And I felt so buried and shamed. I felt shamed. Um, and so I said, Lord, I, I don't want to do this. Lord, for starters, I never asked for this. I never asked to be a pastor. I never asked actually to be anything but your daughter. I said, I don't want to do this. I want to call Shane. I want to tell him I'm not doing tomorrow. And he let, the Lord let me just unload for a while, and then he said, okay, who do I say that you are? And I said, I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter. He said, that's right. And who asked you to do this? I said, you did. <coughs> he said, okay, then do it. I said, okay. So I did it. The beautiful thing was, I shared that story when I spoke that Sunday. And afterwards, some of the guys came up. They laid their hands on me, and they prayed against the shame that had been placed on me just because I was a woman. And they lifted it off, and I felt it lift off. It was very powerful. So, um, so that's that story. So who, who, who are we now? Well, now we are. Uh, I resigned from Mad City in 2009. The Lord uh, just said the season's over. There was no issues, no nothing. I just I was like, okay. So I resigned. And uh, in 2013, I think it was, Kenton and I and a young couple began Zateo Community, which started out, Zateo is a Greek word that means to pursue in order to find, and it was about pursuing God together. Um, so we started it, we had classes, lots of young people came, it was a blast, and then uh, the Lord uh, surprised us by bringing a, another arm to it, which was about building homes for sex-trafficked women locally. And so uh, that's the process that we are in right now where uh, it's a bit overwhelming. We didn't know what we were getting into, but it's also amazing. <clears throat> We've been connected to some really great people. And so uh, Kenton and I and a team of other people, we are working on building an entire community of homes and the, the main piece of it is this. There will be a large community house that believers will, we, we like to call them kingdom-minded people, will come, will love on these women, uh, will help them as they're being rescued out of trafficking. The question is, what are we going to welcome them into? God rescues us out of things, but he always rescues us then into something, Right? So what is it going to look like that they're rescued into? And that's the key piece. We are looking to build a community of people whose desire is to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Just say yes. Yes to Jesus. Whatever you have, that's what we want. And so that's the process that we're, we're in right now. 
uh, we know that we cannot give these women what we don't have. And so we are in transformation process, um, and it's really, really good. So um, that's what we're doing now. Um, so I'm just going to share with you some things that the Lord has given me. Um, Luke 4, 18, uh, Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he took the scroll, and he read from Isaiah 61. Is that up there? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he, he rolled up the scroll. He sat down and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had arrived on the scene, the Messiah, the King of Kings. Isaiah 61, 7 goes on to say, Instead of shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double, double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Who is he talking about here in Isaiah? The poor, the captives, and the oppressed. Right? In some form or fashion, that's all of us. Jesus didn't come to start an institution or a religion. He did not. He came to reveal to us what it would be like to live in the Father's reality, not a fantasy. In the Father's reality, that's what we get to live in. That's what he came to bring. Uh, how his love would change us and how our loving others in the world would let his kingdom unfold around us. What a calling we have, guys. Everywhere Jesus went, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. So what did he mean? A kingdom is anywhere, any area where a particular king reigns, literally that king's domain. So the kingdom of God that Jesus referred to is the domain of God's reign. So Jesus' life and teaching focused on revealing what it looks like when God reigns in a person's life, in a community, in a nation. His kingdom is saturated with love and acceptance, belonging, love for Jesus, and love for each other, the two greatest commandments. Jesus simplified all of these commandments down to the two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't just focus on the kingdom. He was the kingdom. He is the kingdom. Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or some translations say, has come near. Jesus was the embodiment of God, God incarnate. incarnate. Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why Advent? Because of Jesus coming, God in the flesh, incarnate, we celebrate. He's here. But his kingdom doesn't look anything like the kingdoms of this world. Right? 
The kingdom of this world has always been about one group trying to wrestle power from another group. Right? Isn't that how it goes? One group trying to wrestle power from another group. Doesn't work. The, the revolution that Jesus launched when he came is far more radical, for it declares the quest for power over others to be as hopeless as it is sinful. Jesus' kingdom revolts against this sinful quest for power over others, choosing instead to exercise power under others. It's a revolution of humble, self-sacrificial, loving service. Jesus shows up into this scene and begins preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is a new king in town. And his kingdom is like none other. In fact, it's an upside-down kingdom. doesn't look like any other kingdom. This is new. Matthew 20, 25 through 28, we have that, says, Jesus, talking with his disciples, says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave or bondservant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of God always looks like Jesus dying on a cross for the very people who crucified him. That's what his kingdom looks like. Where God truly reigns in an individual or a community, they will look like Jesus, sacrificially ascribing unsurpassable worth to all people. No ifs, ands, or buts. We're always looking for buts, aren't we? We'll accept these, but not these. No buts. There's no room for judgment in his kingdom. The, the Greek word usually translated for judgment uh, is krino. And we get the word critic from this word, and it literally means to cut, divide, or separate things or people. John 12, Jesus said, For I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. I came that you might be free, that you might have life and life to the full, life abundant. Not this group can have this much life and this group can have this much life. No. He came bringing and, and um, displaying unsurpassable worth for each and every person. You know, at the foot of the cross, it's a great equalizer, the cross is. The foot of the cross, we're all the same. It's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, 
slave or free. Galatians 5.1, one of my favorite verses, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and don't let yourself be enslaved again in a yoke of bondage. Don't. Don't let yourself be enslaved again. So let's take a look at what the culture was like for women that Jesus entered into that Christmas morning over 2,000 years ago. In the Old Testament, women had been included in religious life alongside men. Several exercised leadership roles. Uh, Miriam led Israel alongside Moses and, and Aaron. She led in worship, and she was a prophetess. Deborah, who I like to call, was a reluctant judge over Israel. She was there during the time of the judges. She was a woman. She was reluctant. I can relate with Deborah. Sometimes you just don't want to go <laughs> to hard places. Sometimes you just don't want to feel the feelings of rejection. I remember one time when I was on staff at Mad City Church, there was going to be a, a, a several churches doing a, a, a Good Friday service, and so they wanted different pastors to do a reading. And, uh, and I was chosen for, by the guys at Mad City. I was like, oh, okay. I was reluctant. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. It wasn't at our church. It was at a different church. And all of a sudden, uh, I get a call, and it's like, um, yeah, so the pastor of that church, he's not okay with you doing a reading. I said, okay. That's right. I said, Okay. So I had two options there. I could either rise up angry, become a feminist, burn my bra. So I'll tell you what, they're too darned expensive. But that's not the way. I could have done that. I could have demanded, wait a minute, who do you think you are? But when I asked Jesus, what do I do? He said, you just go and you love them and you embrace them and you show them what I'm like. So that's what I did. And as I went to it, during worship, I felt like the Lord lift shame once again off from me. It was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Um, so that's why I like Deborah, because she was, she was a reluctant judge. Um, Huldah was a prophetess who King Josiah consulted instead of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the big guy. But King Josiah went to Huldah um, instead. So 
That was the Old Testament. So by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, the role of women had drastically changed for the worse. I, and I've asked the Lord, why was that, Lord? And, you know, they talk about between the, the Malachi and Matthew in the Bible, there, you know, it's the 400 years. They say, you know, God was kind of silent during that time. You know, prophets weren't speaking, and, you know, different ones say different things. But I look at that, and I go, well, here's what happens when God is silent. We begin to do our own thing. We begin to take on things and go, oh, I think we should do it this way. And I think we should put this in place and this in place. And we begin to build our own little kingdom. And it never works. Let me just say, it never works. So that's just my opinion. I think maybe some of that was going on. And so by the time Jesus came, things had, had really drastically changed for women. Women were separated from men in public and religious life. They could go to the temple, but they could not venture beyond the women's court. And in the Old Testament, in Solomon's temple, there was no women's court. They all worshipped together. Um, women were not allowed to participate in public prayer at the temple, although they were encouraged to have private prayer lives at home. If a woman was in public, she was to be heavily veiled and was prohibited from conversing with men. In Talmudic times, respectable women were expected to stay within the confines of the home. She could be considered a prostitute if she was out and about for no legitimate reason. Ouch. I remember one time being in uh, Jakarta, Indonesia, and sitting in an airport with a long layover, and I saw a Muslim woman come walking, and she was in full garb, and even had the screen across the eyes. And I'd never seen that before. Uh, it's a pretty strict sect. And um, so you could see nothing of her. And I remember sitting there and just watching her walk. And, and I felt just this pain rising up in my heart. And I said, Lord, the eyes are the window of the soul. And nobody can even see who this woman is. And the Lord speaks quietly to me, and he said, I see her, and I know her. And I was undone by that, as you can imagine. Um, so very likely, this degraded view of a women's role was imported from Greek thought. During the Hellenistic period in Athens, Hellenists were uh, Greek-speaking Jews, um, so during this time in Athens, the famous philosopher Aristotle thought that women would bring disorder, evil, and were utterly useless and caused more confusion than the enemy. Wow. Because of this, Aristotle thought keeping women separate from the rest of society was the best idea. Women had been judged and found wanting. <laughs> there was a Jewish blessing that said this. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. There may have been a bit of an issue with misogyny there. Or a little bit of a bias, yes. So this is the culture that Jesus grows up in and begins his ministry preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Things are about to change. There's a new king in town, and his kingdom is like none other. A revolution 
with eternal consequences has now been launched. So I want to look at a story in Luke 13. This is one that when I spoke at a, a different church uh, that had never had a woman speak, this is the, this is the story the late Lord gave me, and I felt like he said, do this, bring this story. Um, this is a story of the, the woman in the temple who was bent over for 18 long years by a spirit. Um, here's the problem. I didn't see what time I started, and gosh darn it, I might go long. Um, but I, here's what I promise you, is that you will be home by halftime of the Packer game, okay? <laughs> All right. That's my promise to you. So this woman in the temple was, was bent over. Uh, some translations say basically bent in half. So for 18 long years, she walked around looking at dirt, camel dung, people's feet, and here she was in the temple. Um, let's, we don't, maybe we don't have it. Um, okay, let's read it. So uh, now he was, te- Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a dis- disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your, from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. There's three things I want us to look at in this, three things that the Lord just really uh, showed me in this story. The first one was that he saw her. He came in, and the first thing he did was he, he saw her back in the women's section, and he called her to himself. He saw her, he called her, to himself. She must have been both thrilled and terrified. She was a shamed woman with two strikes against her. One, that she was a woman in that culture. The second was that she had an infirmity, which usually meant you were cursed by God. So he saw her. I love uh, the story in Genesis 16 about Hagar, Sarah's servant, who Sarah mistreated, and so she fled. She Hagar ran and hid, and um, the Lord came. And he gave a promise to her about her offspring. She call, and she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees me. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. She called the name of the Lord in that story. You are the God who sees me. You have not overlooked me. You have not forgotten me. 
You are the God who sees me. He called her to the front where, according to Jewish, Jewish law, she didn't belong. He could have gone back to the women's court and healed her. He could have just spoken a word. We sang a song this morning about, what was it? Just the mention of your name breaks the chains. He could have just spoken. She's free. She's good. She straightens up. Woohoo! He didn't. He called her to the front. And the religious leaders were indignant. Doesn't he know our religious traditions and laws don't allow for this? Then he did something else. He touched her. In that culture, men didn't touch women. It was both amazing and scandalous. He laid his hands on her. He touched her. And immediately she was made straight. Immediately, after 18 long years, she stood up straight. And what was the first thing she saw? She looked into the face of Jesus. Talk about freedom. It's the first thing she saw. And then she glorified God. What was it that Jesus lifted off from her? Spirit, right? Maybe a spirit of shame. I believe he took her infirmity and her shame, and he took it into himself as he journeyed to the cross. That's what I think he did. Then the third thing he did in this story is that he spoke identity and he, and he spoke belonging over her. He said, daughter of Abraham. He spoke it over her. It had never been done before with sons of Abraham, but he shifted things. He's messing everything up. He said, daughter of Abraham. This was a whole new ball game. We're never, women were never called that. This looks and feels like a movement. Things are changing. Things are shifting. Something powerful happened when he spoke this over her. The people rejoiced, and the adversaries were put to shame. It was a shift out of the old religious system and into the freedom of this new kingdom. Sometimes freedom can feel scary, especially if you've become comfortable in the bondage of the old. I've heard stories of people in prison, been in prison for a long time, and all of a sudden they've won their freedom, and they're terrified. It doesn't make sense in the natural, right? It doesn't make sense. You think like, woohoo, I get to do whatever I want. But they've been so long imprisoned that that's become the comfort. And the thought of stepping outside of that cell is scary. What will things be like? Jesus came and set a brand new trajectory for men and women who would say yes to following him. There was a new kingdom with a new trajectory set. 
And that trajectory was the fulfillment of the kingdom where Jesus is king and Lord fully. The limitations that had been set by a religious system had been removed. And she too would be included, daughter of Abraham. All were welcome to follow. And the only requirement is full surrender to the king. It's the only requirement. The hope of the world resides in God using surrendered people to usher in his kingdom through self-sacrificial acts of love. Our focus must not be on resolving political conflicts, though I'm not against being involved in politics. That's not what I'm saying here. But we cannot look at uh, politics as being the uh, solution. Remember, his kingdom is not of this world, but it is most definitely for this world. Right? His kingdom is not of this world. It's, It's wholly different. But it's for this world. It looks like men, women, and children who've been transformed by love, living free of judgment and limitations, living in such a way that people see an undistorted, undistorted picture of Jesus. Men and women who are passionate about seeing the captives set free, releasing people from shame and oppression by the way they love and by the words of life they speak over each other. You know, we're called to be a picture. We're image bearers, right? That's what we're called, image bearers. We're called to look like Jesus through our uniqueness, through our personality, through our gender. And if we don't release one another into that, we are responsible for painting a distorted picture of who Jesus is. And I, for one, think that he's way too beautiful to distort. I think he's asking us to let go of some things, to lay down some things. He did. Philippians 2, it's my, one of my life chapters because I so don't get it right. It says, let the same mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider robbery, uh, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave it all up, taking the form of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, the shameful cross. Let this same mind be in you. That's what we're called to. One of the most fundamental jobs as kingdom people is to express to all people at all times our agreement with God that they have unsurpassable worth and that they are loved with an extravagant, unconditional love. We are to express this by our willingness to make sacrifices and, if necessary, be sacrificed on their behalf. Ouch. Love is the all or nothing of the kingdom life. Paul said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
shame and judgment have no place in the life of the kingdom. We don't get to judge people who, ju- who Jesus literally gave his life for because of their gender, the color of their skin, or any other reason. As kingdom people, each one of us are called to help lift the burden of shame off from each other and to speak life. Wow, what a beautiful calling we have. The worship team wants to come up. I just think, what would our world look like if that's how we were living? Because we understand, understood who we are and whose we are. If we understood the unsurpassable worth that every single human being has, where there's no room for judgment, and we're actually speaking life over them, lifting shame off from them, saying, you're free. You're free. This is who God says you are. You get to be free. What if we really become the image bearers we were created to be? Representing him well in our world so that the world would be drawn to the beauty of Christ. What if we did this, guys? What if we lived this way? As we walk together in love, men and women in partnership with each other, each one carrying their own unique peace, the fullness of God's person becomes increasingly clear to us and to the world around us. He became like us so that we could become like him. So, Father, we say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here in this earth, in each one of us, God. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in us as we humble ourselves before you, as, Lord, we say yes to you with surrendered lives, that we lay everything down and we say, Jesus, reveal yourself to us and in us. Lord, let your kingdom come. God, I ask that you would bless Damascus Road Church, the leaders, the people. Lord, I believe you've set a trajectory for this church. Lord, things are going to be different because they're saying yes to you. They've opened the doors. It's not just about women. It's about you, Jesus. You've called this church to represent you in this city, in this neighborhood, and beyond. And so, God, I pray that you'd pour out your spirit, that each one would encounter you in a way that's transformational. In Jesus' name.